Hi everyone, I'm Cindy Shibaris and this is my podcast, Joining the Job Queue. In this series, I seek out expert advice on how to survive and thrive in this COVID recession. I'm on the hunt for the silver linings in this big fat rain cloud and I'm finding plenty. I hope you pick up some good tips as you try to navigate your own way through this. I reckon we can get through this together. My guest today is Matt Harper, an airline pilot turned small business owner. What do you do when you can no longer work in a job you've dreamt about since you were a kid and no one's willing to see you or hire you as anything else? Matt's is a story about working out what your transferable skills are and about backing yourself. After working his way through a range of flying jobs, in 2004, he finally scored his dream job piloting international flights for our iconic airline, Qantas. Now, you might think you know how this story goes. It is COVID after all, and so many in the airline and travel industry have lost their jobs or had their livelihoods put on hold. Matt's journey has been tough, as you will hear, but it is also one of resilience and determination and the lengths you have to go to sometimes to pick yourself up off the floor at a time in your life when you might have reasonably thought you had those bases covered. I can't wait to dive into this conversation. Hi, Matt. As you know, I got in touch with you through your wife, who posted a little bit of your story on LinkedIn, where it received almost a million views. So a lot about your story has really resonated with people. But to start, I'd like to take you back to that 14-year-old boy who wanted to be just like his grandfather. What can you tell me about that time? I can tell you it was uh, it was a, an interesting time for me because I, I I knew I had from a very very young age, uh, from about four years old, four to five years old, I, I knew I wanted to fly, but uh, I didn't really know how to go about it. And uh, I guess at that at that age, it's it was just a pipe dream is a long way away. So um, thankfully, my, my grandfather had uh, lots of um, previous experience with Air Force and uh, also friends from the Air Force who'd, who'd migrated to uh, places like Qantas as engineers uh, and, and those sorts of things. So he had access to the Qantas jet base uh, at that time, which, uh, you know, these days it's 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 not available at all, but but for me as a kid, that was like uh, going going to the circus and and getting fairy floss. So, I uh, most times when I would go and visit my grandfather, we'd we'd uh, he'd pre-organise things and we'd head off and uh, go over to the jet base or or even just to the international terminal and look at jets. I was just in awe of the whole lot of it from the very very beginning. So, what happened next uh, at that? Early stage, I was too young to fly, and realistically, you, you're not really allowed to fly till you're 16 years old. My mum actually found uh, she knew I was desperate to fly, and by the time I was about 14, it was ob- obvious that that's all I was talking about. And uh, so, mum actually, uh, for my 14th birthday, booked me a, a flight in a little, tiny little ultralight down in uh, in, in Mittagong, you know, Southern Highlands, and. Uh, I didn't realize how small the plane was going to be until we got there. Uh, this this plane, which literally had a, a two plastic school seats, you know, the, the school seats that you would sit on at, at school, and uh, two of those, uh, and they were bolted onto a, a couple of bits of metal with a, a bit of silk sort of over the top and an engine at the back. And uh, before we knew it, we were in the plane and the engine was running and and uh, we were sailing down the runway. And, and I, I vividly remember that very first moment of watching the ground drop away from me and and uh looking down and 
and knowing that I was flying. Uh, and it was a very, very strong um, memory for me that, that's still very clear. I can imagine, I can even still re- uh, uh, remember what I was wearing on the day and, and that sort of thing. So it's, it's a really, really strong memory for me. So there's the absolute passion and the love of it, but then there's also the practicalities of getting those flying hours and having to pay for it, right? And I think you told me in a previous conversation that there was just you and your mum, so there weren't wads of money, uh, you know, lying around. How did you find the funds? Sure. Um, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There was there was no wad of funds. In fact, there was there was no funds for flying in in our family. Mum, you know, she was doing everything she could to to put food, food on the table, and as a single mum, there was uh, there was just no spare. So it was always very clear that um, it wasn't going to be provided for or, or paid for. And at that time, there was nothing like uh, we have these days with HEX and and those sort of uh, you know student loans that you can get to to pay your way through things. So it was simply a matter of of having to work and save and fly. So uh, as soon as I could, I got a job at McDonald's. I think I was fourteen and nine months old. And uh, went and um, worked in the on the grill at McDonald's, and and took every single shift that I could uh, on weekends and uh, even after school to try and get my uh, get some money in, in the bank. And uh, the way it worked out at the time when I was flying, it was normally or, or fairly close to a hundred dollars an hour to go flying. And for me to do that, uh, I would work pretty much a month. Uh, solid uh, as much as I could to save up enough to to go and do that one hour of flying. And you tapped into that determination again, didn't you, when you set about trying to get your first flying job? So I ended up, uh, I got my license and was gung-ho ready to go flying and thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll get out there and get a job. And not having things like the internet and even mobile phones or, or even the ability to find employers was was actually really challenging. So I sort of came up with an idea that at the time, the only way you could find uh, phone numbers was in the Yellow Pages. So I rang the Yellow Pages and said, how do I go about getting a Yellow Pages for Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, Darwin, Cairns, just about everywhere? And they said, well, you just order them and we'll send them to you. Uh, and I said, okay, well, can I order one for every major city? And they said, sure, uh, it'll be ready in a week or so. So I went through and there was an aviation section under A, of course, at the very beginning of all the yellow pages. And so I went through and took uh, out of every single one of those yellow pages that aviation section out and made my own basically uh, Australia-wide version of the aviation yellow pages. And I just started at A and and started formulating CVs. and putting them in letters and licking stamps and sending, the, sending them out to everyone and anyone that I could find that uh, that was related to flying in aviation. And, and there was almost no response ever. I mean, but eventually, I guess the, those letters um, must have bounced around enough and, and somebody had come across my CV and, and I got a call from um, Mount Isa, uh, aviation company up in Mount Isa, and they said, well, we've got a, a very part-time Charter flying job uh, about to start. If you if you can get here, the job's yours. And that was the beginning of what became a pretty amazing career because you ended up at Qantas flying international flights. It's been a very lengthy career, and I think I've stepped foot in just about every part of uh, aviation, as, except the military, to get to uh, to where I am now, which is uh, on the A three eighty. And then COVID, a massive blow to you and so many others. But you hit the job boards and got pretty busy applying for non-flying jobs. How did that go? 
Well, it, uh, to be honest, it was not dissimilar to my initial efforts with the Yellow Pages. Uh, I, I, I got on every job forum, job you know, uh, website and registered as many places that I could and filled out application after application after application. And, you know, at times I was doing half a dozen or more applications uh, just before breakfast and just sending them out just continuously. And, and they were for driving jobs and forklift jobs and storeman jobs and people services jobs and just about anything that I thought I could be uh, considered for, really. I had quite a large um, filter on to, to try and expose as many different fields as possible. And I mean, pre-flying, I had a background in, uh, I've you know, managed nightclubs and, and restaurants and I've worked in customer service and I've done technical work with Microsoft and, you know, driven forklifts and managed a warehouse and even worked for Armaguard as a security guard for a period. So I've had you know, what I would consider a fairly broad range of skill sets, um, even before Qantas. But uh, to be honest, the the silence was deafening when it came to the responses that I was getting. And even when I did get a response, it was in general uh, a call to sort of say, why do we have a pilot CV on our desk for a, you know, X role? Uh, and, um, you know, I, I did get a, a couple of callbacks from recruiters who gave me tips and techniques on how to potentially uh, rewrite my skill sets to make them more digestible to the, the current, um, I guess, recruiters. And, uh, you know, because not, not being relevant as far as your CV just puts you in the too hard basket to start with. So, you know, lots of refining. There was a daily, almost, well, it was a daily or sometimes more than once a day refining of your CV um, and even trying different things. Like uh, at one point, I even removed my my 20-year Qantas career from my CV to see if I could gain a little more attention or maybe remove myself from the too hard basket by somebody seeing the other skill sets potentially. Uh, and and to be honest, it, it, it just went for a long time with, with next to no response at all. That must have been pretty frustrating and actually quite soul-destroying. How did you cope mentally with that? Well, it does. It, it leaves you questioning whether, <laughs> whether you, you know, whether you're um, valid a- anymore. It leaves you questioning whether all the hard work that you've done to get you to where you were or are is is worth it. And, you know, I I just I relate to uh, remember a statement that my mum used to always say and and that was, you know, getting somewhere that's hard is is like banging your head against the brick wall. It's a barrier, you know, and you just there's two things that can happen. Either either the wall gives in or your head gives in. And I just I kept reflecting on that statement. Um one of many statements that I was given from my mum, and that uh, you know there are still days where where you just you know you really really it takes the wind out of your sails, and you 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 just feel like well, is this ever going to end? Is it ever going to get easier? Is it ever going to just go back to normal? And uh, and they're the days when you really you miss things like your career, the the long term career that you've spent a long time working hard at and studying and all those things. And you really miss that that um, familiarity and security that you have in, when you're in, within a big company, uh, especially like Qantas, where you, you know, you're really treated like family. Was there something specific you did to cope? 
did you up your exercise or did you make sure that you surrounded yourself with lots of family and friends? Are there any tips that you could give others that might be in the same situation? Yeah, I took up uh, mountain biking. Uh, so that was one thing that uh, that got me just, it was a mental break. You, you, I don't think when you're mountain biking, you can ride a bike and think about problems. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's a bit like meditation or, or it's a bit more focused than meditation because you're, you're really focused on what you're doing and, and that helps you to put some of those, those troubling things that are just you know, eating you away <laughs> while you're sitting at home thinking about who you're going to apply for next. Um, so yeah, getting out, walking the dog, doing some exercise, uh, going down the beach, um, some of those things were, were, you know, very, very beneficial for me. Also having, you know, my wife is, a, is, is so supportive of everything that's, uh, that I've ever done. And this is, you know, coping with, with our change in situation, even down to the fact that, you know, for 20 years, she's been very used to me just going away for a week, every other week. Um, and, you know, I'd go away and she'd be, know run the run the show when when i was away and then i'd come back and she'd hand the baton and and you know we had this um very very consistent sort of time apart and time together so all of a sudden when the flying stopped uh you know there was a a distinct change in dynamic there and um so yeah you know and, and so belinda and i we i think the key with all of that is uh communication you know without communicating when you're not feeling great without communicating when you are feeling great it's it's really easy to find yourself in a, in a bit of a you know a dark place that that um can as we know become overwhelming for for many people and so going back to those 200 or so job applications there was one person who was willing to take you on wasn't there can you tell us a little bit about that yeah there was a um a, a local printing company who uh, was looking for a driver uh, and um they were very close to to home, so sure enough, uh, I actually I went and did the job, and I, I really enjoyed um, driving the the truck, and it was only quite a small truck. Um, so, but the work itself was was good. It was great to have a purpose. It was great to, you know, turn up and say good day to, to the people you're working with, and and I guess learn some of the the new things that are in that environment as well. Uh, but what I found was I was really struggling with the uh, with driving the truck um, for the hours that I was doing, just from the the sheer roughness of being in a truck on on many of Sydney's roads, which are, are not fantastic. And uh, I, I'd actually had some surgery um, last year on my spine, so I was finding that was causing me significant amount of pain. And so I was really thinking about whether I could continue this job and. Um, you know how I felt really torn between getting this job and staying with the job, and knowing that it was potentially doing me long-term damage that I may not be able to recover from that could risk my pilot's license. So I spent the better part of a couple of weeks uh, thinking about what I, what else I could do, and and I guess a lot of that time spent driving was downtime. It was mental downtime. It was you know you're a bit of and I'll use the the, the term autopilot. Um, and you're just driving to somewhere. And so I spent a lot of time analysing other things that I might be able to do uh, and also agonising over whether it was the right thing to do to let go of this job, which was my only income stream. Um, but as it turned out, it sort of it did give me time to think about potentially some ideas that I had bubbling away there. And, and one of those was starting my own business. Uh, and that sort of um, by chance came about where I ended up speaking with um, Another pilot uh, friend of mine who who 
uh, I've known for many years. And he he was a, an electrician prior to Qantas. One of the ideas that I had bubbling in the back of my head was that I wanted to start a, uh, a home automation business, but I needed, because I don't have a, a, a electrician's license myself, I needed an electrician to do some of that, that sort of work. So when David mentioned that he had his, uh, his um, electrical license back, the penny dropped and, and I floated the idea with him about this, uh, this automation business and he was immediately drawn to it as well with an interest in technology and those sorts of things. And the business is going well, isn't it? It's called Automate Home. How many clients have you got? We've got a number of clients where we're continually uh, quoting at, and yeah, the phone has been very busy, which is, which is great for a, for a brand new business. Uh, I think a lot of that um, initial drive has come from a post that my wife did on LinkedIn um, which, which, as you mentioned, uh, I think uh, it went viral uh, within a very short space of time. And that post was uh, basically trying to raise awareness for employers uh, about the plight or the, the troubles that um, guys and girls like myself in, in our position in the aviation industry at this time are struggling with, which is just, I guess, that, that idea that we're potentially too overskilled for some jobs. My wife's post on, on LinkedIn was really to try and educate them or, and expose the, these problems to ask employers potentially just to look a little beyond potentially that last job that somebody had and look much more at their, their not even just their skill sets, but their skills. Look at what they've done in, not just as a job title, but what has somebody physically done, mentally done to get to that position? And if you think about that, if they can think about that in that regard, then it certainly opens up a, a much larger community of people to them. And I think a lot of employers could potentially benefit from the hugely varied skill sets that, that most pilots like myself have because of the, the, the path that it takes to get to flying. Well, from talking to you, I'd say you've got pretty good communication skills and I reckon you'd be a handy guy to have around in a crisis. They sound like good transferable skills. It's funny because I spent um, a long time trying to digest my own transferable skills uh, when I was trying to put it into a, a CV fashion. And when I sat down and looked at all the parts of the job that you do just as a pilot, there were I've, I've got pages and pages of these components of skill sets where, and, and, and I certainly I'm not blowing my own trumpet. I, I, that's not what I do ever. Um, but it was surprising to me how many things that, how many skills and how many uh, knowledge points and how many training courses and things that have been done just in the general course of, of you know, flying a big jet that, uh, you know, most employers probably wouldn't even recognize or, or, or realize uh, you've had to do to get to even maintain your job. And I'm interested, you talked earlier in the interview about your workmates as a family, the Qantas family, and I know in the chats that we've had, I know it's a real passion for you to get out there and help other people from the flying family get jobs and be recognised for all the great skills that they have to have had in order to be able to get a job flying with one of the world's leading airlines. What would you say to employers? I just got off the phone before I spoke to you um, with a, um, another pilot who uh, I've started a, a very small forum where I'm trying to connect employers to pilots, uh, em employers that are open to the idea 
of giving pilots jobs and pilots are the open, open to the idea of doing work that's offered. So um, I've, I've created a little, uh, I guess it's a, a, a job sharing um, platform. And uh, what we're trying to do is get employers to contact us uh, at Avcrew Jobs and tell us about the jobs that they've got. And then we can then digest the skill sets required and then find the right people to give them those jobs. For other job seekers, do you have any advice for them? I mean, you're going out and having a go at starting your own business. Did you ever see yourself as being an entrepreneur? What would you say to other people who aren't in the flying industry? I think uh, it's hard to give advice for, you know, I don't feel like I'm um, really in the right position to give advice. However, I think it's really if 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 you want to do something, you've just got to do it. You, you can't You've got to feel the fear and do it anyway. You've got to push through the barriers. You've got to move forward. And stopping, the only outcome of stopping is going nowhere. Whatever you're pushing forward, whatever you're trying that next thing, there's an opportunity there. There's an opportunity that, that, that a door may open. But if you stop, there's no opportunity. And I think that's probably um, one of those sort of things that were rattling around in the back of my head for me to, to reflect on and and think about which is giving up is not an option and uh, yeah it's just you've got to keep going <laughs> as, as tough as it is um, you've got to seek support if you need support you've got to reach out and and thankfully for us you know as, as a group um, with Qantas especially there's a huge amount of support that the company is offering there's a huge amount of, of peer support there's a huge amount of um, you know support for the, the people who, who aren't doing so well and you know, I think all companies, if if they've got employees that are out there that are that are struggling, they really need to to have an open ear for it, and they and they need to be willing to help uh, those in, employees uh, that that maybe are stood down like we are, and understand you know that that they need some assistance too, um, and just be there for them. You know, so also you need to maintain your community, although you may feel isolated. You need to you need to join the dots with your friends, and you need to pick up the phone and and just even if it's hard, just ask someone how they are and ask someone if you can help them. Um, and, you know, there's, that's about as much as I could offer as far as advice. Uh, but just don't give up. You know, it's it, this is not going to last forever. We know that things will turn around. It's just, you know, potentially going to be slow. And um, if you can find something to, to fill in the gaps um, in the interim, then, then great. But uh, while you're trying, there's a chance. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Matt. What I'm hoping through this podcast series is that we draw strength from each other and maybe pick up what resonates and leave behind anything that doesn't. We're all in this together, so uh, any help we can give each other is is brilliant. And then finally, we have a Spotify playlist that uh, complements this podcast series, and the aim is to fill it with songs that help people get inspired in their job seeking. Is there a particularly inspirational or fun song that you have that you'd like to add to the list? I think one that's really relevant to me is uh, something that I listened to a long, long time ago and, and I found myself dreaming about what the song was about. And it's, it's, it's probably a little bit corny, but at the same time, it's, it's really, really clear to me uh, what that song is about. And that's Learning to Fly by Pink Floyd. That's terrific. Well, I'm going to add that to the list. And it's been great hearing from you, Matt, and I wish you all the very best uh, with your new business and also with the terrific work that you're doing, trying to match Qantas staff with other jobs in the meantime, while we wait for the travel industry to get back on its feet. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much for having me, Cindy. Cheers. 
You've been listening to Joining the Job Queue. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review on your favourite podcasting app. If you have an idea for an episode or interview, please get in touch at joiningthejobqueue, that's one word, at gmail.com. See you next time.